Test, test, one, two, three, three, two, one. If you listen, you may learn something when I'm done. It's your boy, Don Wall, a.k.a. Moral Support. Welcome to Embrace Matters of Race podcast. I am joined by the rest of the crew here on our new improved platform squadcast. I'm joined here by Kelly Jane, the homie Carl, and the boy Jay. Let's embrace like I said, this is a very special episode we're doing today because we have today the hit pick of hit picks, in my opinion. Mm. And my man Jay is going to lead the charge. Go ahead, bro. Thanks, Dom. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. We're talking about Do the Right Thing, the great classic film directed by Spike Lee, the one and only from masterpiece. 19- masterpiece of all masterpieces, 1989. Uh, you know, definitely set in the the heat of summer in August of 1989, and it's just a really amazing film. And you know, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode that it was um, this film was in this tournament with all these other 80s films in this podcast that I've listened to. Another podcast that's popular, it's called Film Spotting, wow. and these these people are voting on the best film of the 80s, and. They had just recently released the finals, the results of the finals, and it came down to The Shining versus Do the Right Thing. And you want to know who won? The Shining. No, it was Do the Right Thing. Really? Good. Good. Me too. I'm like really good. In no world should The Shining ever win over Do the Right Thing. Yeah. 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 And uh, with all due respect to The Shining, but I think Do the Right Thing is definitely a superior film. And I think after this discussion, I think many of you uh, will be able to realize why and understand why. I mean, this is uh, this, I think, not only was so relevant to 1989 and what was going on back then, but also is so relevant to today. And Mm. I think this movie is aged like wine. Got a chance to rewatch it again this past week, and I know you all have watched it too. Wanted to ask you all, hey, so what are your first impressions of the film? So the first impressions would be for the people who first watched it for the first time. That's a really good point there. Week. That's a good point because I think <laughs> both for both Dom and Carl, I think this is not the first time they've watched it. No, no. but I remember the first time I ever watched it, uh, it was with my family, and there was – a, a, a huge debate argument that happened very quickly after it ended. Mm. Wow. But that's how my family operates. So don't listen to me. Kelly Jane. <laughs> <laughs> On to you. Um, yeah. First impressions. Um, it's a movie you kind of have to settle into. Like you have to learn to watch it, if that makes sense, because the pacing is really interesting. The dialogue is interesting. So you kind of have to like adapt to the the way that the story is being told. Um, Cause it's not exactly like this thing happens and then this thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's super cinematic. I think that Spike Lee has such a cool style and I don't know. You can tell right away that it's a movie with something to say. It's not there to entertain you. Did it feel like it was a stage play? Um, maybe, yeah. As far I as the dialogue. Um, I was thinking more just because all of the action happens within like three city blocks, it seems like. There's just like mm. the apartment stoops, Sal's Pizza, 
and the fire hydrant and that's it (laughs) the hydrant yeah that's a really interesting point there dom and i'm wondering did they ever has there ever been talk of putting this on broadway or off broadway as, as some sort of stage play or musical I think this would be the perfect time for Spike Lee to do that. And if he does, I'm mm. auditioning. I'm Heck auditioning. Yeah, you are. Yes, Dom. I've would you always, be Radio Raheem? I could be Radio yeah. Raheem. I could be Senior Love Daddy. Or I could be Demaya. The, he's my nah. favorite. I could be Demaya. You, you haven't can. seen my old man. I could all do right, an old man. Right. Yeah, no. Dom can act. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I've always said... Spike Lee can turn a lot of his movies into stage plays. Hmm. The way they're shot to the dialogue he uses and the like artistic swag he throws on all of his films is very stage play. Yeah. That's like Broadway really- musicals. He loves Broadway's musicals, Spike Lee yeah, does. He does. Yeah, it's it's uh well yeah, and I would definitely love to see it if it ever if that ever became a reality, uh, a mm-hmm. stage play. And and certainly, Dom, any part in that play, you would be fantastic. <laughs> You'd be awesome, man. You're a very talented brother. And, uh, and you know, I just wanted to ask you, oh, so Carl, I mean, you know, like, what is your first impression when you first saw the movie? Like, do you recall? Um, I don't remember the first time I watched it. It was when I was little. Uh, but the last, not the last, but the most recent first time that I watched it was after everything went down in the pandemic. Um and it was very raw and i watched mm. it with my wife who's white and she was hesitant to watch it watch it and it was definitely similar for her um but then i watched it again this week and i feel like my heart was still beating in anticipation of all the like the crescendo of all the, mm. the tensions and the offenses and yeah. how everything just kept on ramping up until until what we get into later on and Kelly Jane, was this your first time watching the film? Yes. So, what was your what were your thoughts? Your initial, like your first impression, just just watching it. I my very first impression maybe was like, wow, the '90s really have come back as far as mm. fashion goes. <laughs> like, I just feel like I could see so many of my friends wearing so many of the outfits. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the cinematography was awesome. I felt like it it's kind of cool. I wouldn't have put those words to it, Dom, about it being like a stage play, but now that you say that it's cool because it's like it creates this little world for you to exist in for a couple hours that is very emblematic of a bigger picture, but like it's easier to digest when you're in this kind of like little like microcosm of like the three square city blocks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, like you get used to this little world and you get used to the the characters and their dynamics. And then it's like easier to be like, oh, this is how a lot of the world is. This is something that people face and experience all the time. Yeah. It would be a musical, I think. Mm. I mean, if you think about the opening, I don't want to dive Mm -hmm. into it too much because I know Jay is kind of leading it. But if you think about the opening and how Rosie Perez is doing this dance number to fight the power by, by uh, public enemy. She's on a stage. She's on a sound stage, and right there off the bat, like that's easily trans like ported to a stage. Like this, mm. it's a sound stage already anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, I felt the same way too. Yes, it's, it almost seemed vaudeville and like the introduction mm. of the characters. Yeah, like something from the 
the 40s or the 50s. Yeah, I can see that. Because they have such like unique character names too. Mm-hmm. Si- mother, sister, sister, mother. Mm-hmm. And the mayor. And bug and out. And yeah, they're they're definitely characters. Not that you can't see real people in them, but they are definitely characters. Yeah. Yeah. Did you at any time feel hot, Kelly Jane? Um, do you mean angry? No, like phys- like warm. Warm. Like like hot. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Do you feel hot at different points? I always feel warm when I watch mm. the movie because of the colors. Mm. And the the sun rays, like the the mm. way it's even shot, is like warm. But yeah, um, I know we'll get into that. Hang on, jump ahead. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, for me, I, I I don't know, like I don't remember when exactly it was that I first watched the film. It was sometime in high school, mm. and I remember enjoying it. I remember thinking it was it was well executed, well done. It was a powerful film. I admired it a lot. I don't think I really, I don't really, I, th- I think I understood it fully and I really appreciated it to the extent that I ex- appreciate it now. And I think it's, and a lot of that I think has to do with my initial reaction to the end of the film mm-hmm. and the climax of the film and what happened there. I think as time has gone on and watching that again and again, along with the events that have transpired in our nation. Mm-hmm. it's helped to bring more understanding to all that, to all of, all of what's happened in the film. And I think it just helps me to appreciate all the more and about how pivotal this movie is that as it goes on, it continues to rise up in my own personal rankings of the best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And right now it's in my top 15. And uh, I watched it again the other night. And again, it was amazing. I think the thing that stood out to me this time was that of just how how much depth there is to this world mm-hmm. that in each of the scenes you have something going on in the foreground certainly with the characters interacting mm-hmm. with one another and talking in the plot and mm-hmm. you know conflict and whatnot but then in the background you have other characters yeah. that you've already seen or other characters you know of and you see them going on through their their ordinary day and, yeah, and there's their so life. much happening in the background whether it's you know smiley in the background or you see you know um uh, bugging out i want to think like when bugging out's um when bugging out is basically imitating sal when sal's lecturing mookie about mm-hmm. bugging out mm-hmm. uh <laughs> you know there's that and there's just the the different sequences whenever you pretty much pan over the the uh near the, the mayor's house and see the mayor on pretty much like sitting there next to the steps mm-hmm. and even if he's not even in the scene really but he's there and it just brings so much life and depth mm-hmm. to the uh that this feels like a no real ne- neighborhood and these yeah. are real people and uh, so that yeah. that's that helped me to appreciate it all the more i think this time yeah. and um but yeah so you know Okay, so what did you love about the movie? Like, what I mean, I think some of that has already been talked about a little bit here. Uh, but any other things that you guys haven't already shared that you feel like, man, what do you love about Do the Right Thing? I think I love the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's the in, there's an introduction of some cinematic element along with each of the characters. Like when uh, mm. Radio Rahim first comes into the picture, there's a Dutch tilt 
there's bound to be something wrong that happens with this guy on screen oh, wow. some point. Um, and then when there are other tense moments, you know, um, Ernest, uh, I think the guy's name, the cinematographer's name, does a d Dutch tilt again. Yeah. Ernest Dickerson. Yeah, Dickerson. And something that is always consistent, the movie is shot in a wide-angle lens um, mm. up until there are certain moments of a character. So when there's a conflict between Bugging Out and Mookie, you know, they're zoomed in from inside the pizzeria. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a tighter angle. So you're almost like a, a voyeur looking in or you're yeah. just peeking out from the doorway into the conversation. But otherwise, that wide angle very much feels like a stage play or a proscenium. Mm -hmm. I can see almost everything going on in the background, and but you're still able to focus on the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for that. I, um, I, love, I love this movie because... Um, love this film because it's something you always have to wrestle with. Something that Martin Lawrence said in the Martin show, because in the Martin show, he has a picture, a poster of do the right thing on his wall hmm. in his apartment. And you know, th there's a part, there's a scene where it's gone and he's like, where's my do the right thing poster? Mm -hmm. Where's, where's it? Where's the poster that has, that reminds people what they got to do. And that resonates with me even because mm -hmm. this movie, even watching it, I watched it today, like a couple hours ago, and it's still something that I have to wrestle with. And I feel like everybody who, who watches it has to wrestle with the temptation to not do the right thing. And I think that that's like kind of the heart of it. But something about this film that's, um, which I, I kind of alluded to earlier is that this film is visceral. Like there's a visceral, like hot, sweaty stickiness to the film when uh, you think yeah. about the colors and the brightness the brightness it's a high key it's shot high key almost all the way most definitely you know even uh i heard that there were times where um it was raining apparently it used to rain a lot it was raining a lot hmm. um when they were trying to film but they were filming a bright sunny no clouds in the sky day mm -hmm. so they um they put up i forgot what they put up but they put up to show that it was still daytime, they covered the camera with something hmm. that made it look like it wasn't raining. It wasn't cloudy, but it looked mm -hmm. like it was still just sunny. Mm -hmm. um, and you get these tints, like you get these, like, like my hand color, like mm. you get these tint colors that does something to you hmm. when you watch it for a certain amount of time and the tensions are rising. Mm. But even in the coolness of the night where the tension explodes, you still feel that tinty, hot, like brightness. Hmm. Um, oh, even gels. in yeah. gels. Yeah, gels. Um, but yeah, I love this movie because there's so many uh, from the the emotion, the power behind it. You know, the 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 blaring sound of Public Enemy, uh, who mm -hmm. apparently who apparently made this song for Spike for oh. the movie. That's cool. He asked them for an anthem and they gave him one. Yeah. And um, there's just so much like anger and emotion wrapped up in that song. Hmm. And it perfectly complements what's happening in the, in the, in the, in the film. Mm -hmm. So there's Certainly, a lot of reasons why I love this movie. Certainly one of the best songs made for a movie ever. I mean, yeah. especially that perfectly encapsulates the tone of the film. 
Yeah. I think, and what's going on in the movie, you know, and just the message and everything. It just, it's so, it's just a powerful song. And um, yeah, it's. Yeah. Excellent. Not to, not to mention um, Branford Marcellus playing the saxophone. Um, or is it Winton? I always get Winton and Branford mixed up all the time. I think it's Branford that plays the saxophone and Winton plays the trumpet. Um, I should look that up, but <laughs> to be thorough, but Branford Marcellus playing the trumpet, he plays my country tis of thee in the beginning, right before you hear public enemy. Hmm. And it's, you hear the, the, the saxophone throughout the film as, as well. Um, but it just perfectly complements the, the urgency of hip hop with, mm-hmm. the, with the saxophone, with the jazz saxophone. Hmm. That's really beautiful. And what about you, Kelly Jane? Yeah, I loved the characters. I will go ahead and be vulnerable and just say, yeah, maybe a good part of uh, why the characters themselves are so impactful for me is as a white person, just not being exposed to a lot of black characters on movies. Um, Not that there aren't, not that they aren't there, but we all know that it's much more likely for a main character to be white. Even if a character is black in a movie, they're usually just like a foil or like a sidekick or something. So yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I just really fell in love with a lot of them. And Jay's talked more about before about like how movies are such an important aspect of being culturally aware because you just get to empathize with people and like see how like these universal human things and i just loved the mayor um i think the scene where they're all just saying a bunch of insults and slurs about other races is really powerful because because it just shows how arbitrary it is it shows that no person or group of people deserves to be hated or deserve to be categorized that way because it's all we could make racial slurs and insults about literally anyone for any reason like race or being redhead for example jay or um all sorts of things and none of it's based in reality it's all just our perception of this group of people and uh what they are to us or what they've taken from us or that sort of thing. Um, And then that kind of relating to that scene where the three men are by the red wall, which is just like the prettiest, most cinema cinema graphic (laughs) um, scene. Anyways. um, And they are looking at the fruit stand of the, Uh, Korean family and they are like insulting them for being Korean but insulting them because they feel like why can't we have a successful business and what is that about Um, must be because we're black and I don't know just that dynamic of like there does exist like racism does exist in every group but it's always worth asking why Um, and if there is some truth to I don't know, black people feeling even more marginalized even by other minorities that have like been able to have more success than them because of the state of our country and our society and how black people are viewed. 
So anyways, that just made me think a lot. And I think that's a beautiful reason why this film is so great. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically on that, um, of that, that, that point. Cause that, that's also interest. That's another interesting thing about the film is because it explores all of these other bias, um, as well, even before we started saying bias, you know, like it, it explored a lot more than just Mm -hmm. black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, but specifically if you think about the dynamic between African Americans and immigrants, is interesting it's it is it's a hard pill to f- swallow most of the time it's a hard thing to deal with but mm. you know uh african americans didn't they weren't they didn't come here by choice they didn't come here right. because they were seeking savior from america they didn't come to reap the benefits or the fruits of america they were forced to come here and they worked so when the, you know when they get you know this is we're talking about 89 so eight in 89 you know still you know uh, the scars from the civil rights movements are still very present mm. um, in their in their neighborhood of Bedsty that's freshly being gentrified. I mean, Bedsty doesn't look like that now, but it's freshly being gentrified. And what these black characters are dealing with now is there are other minorities here that are thriving off of us. Not only is it the white race that's thriving, that used to thrive on us or continue to thrive on our dollar, but there are other minorities that came here after us that are thriving off us as well. And I think those characters were going through a moment of frustration or at least um, ML, the character ML was going through a, a moment of being frustrated that it seems as if black people just can't get it together. It seems as if we can't mm. start our business. We can't. Mm. We we can't support our own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You know, despair. You know, it was a moment of frustration. But um, I'm also glad that it got cleared up at the end. That Spike didn't just skip over that, but like he addressed it again at the end. Because I thought the Korean characters served a great purpose as well in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that added to the little world that they made that you can kind of expand and be like, Oh, that's really how things are because Mm -hmm. you're right. It isn't just black on like black and white. It's the dynamic of white culture and everybody else basically. Um, and how they interact with each other. I wonder if that was at, for the time, like representation of the actual, you know, groups that existed in, a similar community because uh, now mm-hmm. you can have you can find broader diversity in our communities and especially Bed-Stuy today it's probably mm-hmm. leaning a little bit more um, gentrified and it's probably why it's so, it's so expensive right now uh, but there must have been a time when you know there were very few Asians very few um, Italian Americans in a community of those mostly you know black mm-hmm yeah, yeah, really good uh, thoughts here, you all, and uh, I think you know that you've all shared. And I, I think one thing, uh, one one message I think about this film is just even uh, the importance of having to work together and people from different races just having to learn to coexist uh, in the battle and the struggle that comes with that because of the clash of a pain, of worldview, of background, of 
of of perspective and just also because of a lack of understanding or you know just because of um uh, you know, maybe because of uh, maybe some sort of fear. You know, I think that's where I've heard a quote one time that the opposite of uh, opposite of love is fear, uh, and that you know, it's a lot of times people can can have hatred or uh, you know uh, or bias or racism or you know because of a, a fear of 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 the other person uh, or, or lack of understanding. But yeah, you know, I think what what do you think the? I mean, what do you think that? the you know overall message that you think spike lee is trying to communicate to us in this film like what is he trying to what is he trying to to get us to to leave this film understanding i think that it's never too late to do the right thing i think that was a that will be a very long title it's already a pretty long title do the Mm -hmm. right thing but it's never too late to do the right thing and i you know with the landscape of all the characters are doing wrong things throughout the entire film. Even our main character, Mookie, is making the wrong choice. Like, there's a lot of wrong decisions happening. But from my perspective, there was one moment in which Mookie rose to the occasion and mm. did the right thing. And that right thing impacted lives and changed, people, changed people's hearts. Mm. and change people's views, you know, and may- maybe even stop them from going a route that they would have gone mm. down. But well, that, that one right thing changed something. What was that one right thing to you? I think that one right thing was probably the most controversial moment of the movie is when Mookie throws a trash can through the window. Mm. Now, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that's the wrong thing. He, he did the wrong thing. <laughs> like, that, why would he do that? But in as as I got older and I really understood, like, oh snap, that mob probably would have killed Sal and his friend and his kids. Wow! Like Sal and his sons might have died that night. If we're thinking about how angry mm. they were, and and even connecting it to how angry I would have been had mm. I been on the streets as well. Mm-hmm. Had I been on the streets when George Floyd was being killed, mm. and the cops finally go away. And the people responsible still sitting there, standing there in the neighborhood. Mm. And I'm amongst other people like me that are upset. Yeah. I have no idea what I would have would, would do. You know? Right. So Mookie taking the trash can, throwing it through the window, redirected the anger of the mob mm. to destroying property. Now property is like like Mookie says, like, hey, you you know the insurance game, man. You can get over Get the insurance money and rebuild. Mm. Right. But you and your family are safe now mm. because that anger that the mob was feeling had to go. That energy had to go somewhere. But and it went to public property instead, which I would say, like, goes to the next conversation that we don't have to have today. But the, the conversation of people always ask, well, how come when these things happen, black people burn down their own Mm. you know they burn down their own uh community mm-hmm. and it's like well would you would you rather want black people walking through the streets killing white people mm. yeah or you or this target <laughs> right um, it's one of the it, it the energy has to go somewhere and unfortunately that evil comes out and looks like hate mm. but we'll get into 
Radio Raheem's love and hate speech later, I'm sure. Yeah. Interesting stuff that you bring up there, Dom, and uh, and uh, interesting at the especially at the last part you just said there with with the word hate, and that's exactly the word that Mookie shouts when he throws the trash can into the window, and I mean. If there's any criticism I have of the film, I'll just throw it out there right now because we're right here. It's it's the fact that he says the word hate while he does that. Uh, I, I know that's the only thing that for me feels like it's a little forced. Like I just I just wish he had just thrown the trash can and and that was it, you know, and not not said anything. Um, but just just the fact that he says hate while he does it. Um, but at the same time, I, I understand why. I mean, Spike Lee's trying to communicate something there with that. And trans, even what you were saying, kind of transferring that hate uh, yeah. towards the building, right? And in my first watch of the film, I think I had a similar perception that you did as a kid. Like it was like, oh, this is the wrong thing to do, or like, why are they doing this? This is terrible, you know. And and just and thinking, oh man, this this pizzeria is going down in flames, you know. Um, but I think you know o- over time. You know, because of the different events that have happened in our in our in our world in our nation, and it definitely um, uh, the the things that were happening over the last t- ten years have provided a lot of in um, uh, just a light on the situation uh, of what happened there with Mookie and the and the pizzeria. That yeah. like, okay, this makes a lot a lot of sense, and um, not that you know, not that I would do like I would you know condone it, you know like. You know, uh, destroying property, but uh, but I can understand and, and empathize with the fact that okay, this I can see why that, that this would be done. You know, uh, mm-hmm. in a situation like this, and even what you just shared there, Don was uh, was would help to provide some greater insight too into that. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, you know, like for instance, with the situation that happened with Freddie Gray in, in Baltimore, when when he was you know uh, when he died at the hands of the police back, back in, I think, 2015 it was. And then there were riots, yeah. in, ba- riots in Baltimore. And I remember uh, in, in my, uh, at my, at, like, at my office at, at lunch, having my lunch break, and they had CNN on while you know, things were going on in Baltimore. And there was Wolf Blitzer interviewing one of the members of Black Lives Matter and, and just about the incident. And I think he was basically pressing the person to con- like criticize the uh, or i guess uh criticize the rioting or, or con- you know basically condemn it you know and he, he he was basically saying that uh that uh he had a he had a particular i forgot what exactly what he said at the quote uh that person who was who was being interviewed but he mentioned about broken windows are not as um well, it seems like broken windows are more important to people than broken spines. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that yeah. really shook me when I heard that. Mm. Uh, it also shook me when I, I when I was in that that lunchroom at my work and overheard these uh, older older women who were white uh, making comments about about you know the condemning the rioting and saying, oh, but this is somebody's business and that they're you know they could have. You know, and like they, you know, this is like, you know, uh, they could have lost money or whatever, right? And I'm like, but then I'm like thinking back to Radio Rahim, and I'm thinking, man, that somebody's life just just got taken, mm. you know. And mm-hmm. I think this is where it was. I think it was around that point, even watching the film again around that time, I think brought greater insight and helped me to understand more about 
why Mookie does what he does at the end. And uh, that really, yeah, like like you even said in that Mookie says in the film, insurance is going to cover it. But insurance is not going to cover, you know, it's not going to bring Radio Raheem back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the, and I think that's a problem. I think a lot of times people can miss is that that they 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 lose sight of the great the great injustice that's that's been that's occurring. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so yeah, but power, powerful stuff at the end of that movie. Absolutely, and I think because we have this movie in a shorter format, uh, then you know the intertwining of a number of people's lives and a number of communities that we can see the the involvement of you know the wrongs the offenses the culture clashes coming to a head to the point where you know that diversion happens we can understand that or if we're not obtuse we can understand that but if we do lean in and try to have more empathy, mm. we should be looking into why did this happen mm. or what came before, you know, the, the, the demonstrations this, this past year or any time um, that there, there has been a similar um, aftermath. Like a few years after this, there was Rodney King, you know, yeah. and we almost watched that play out on on tv and that's probably one of the earliest um examples of that you know something should have happened before he was beaten on camera mm. to stop that someone could have done the wrong the right thing much earlier on mm-hmm. yeah i also think it's interesting that um this movie came out um, toward the tail end of the cold war um when you start when you talk about tensions high tension um it just kind of encapsulized into a small neighborhood of different types of people. But I also thought that was an interesting thing that Spike Lee did, you know, on a bigger scale, you know, um, the cold war had been happening for, had been going on for a number of years. Um, I think it didn't end into the nineties sometime, but um, in 89, it definitely was, had been going on for years. So, yeah, and the Berlin Wall had fallen in '89. Yeah, the Berlin and Wall also fell. Yeah. It's a, it's just, I mean, it's just a, uh, just a, such a crucial time in in our in our world's history, and uh, during the period, and uh, just, I mean, really, I, I think it just, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing, it's just a, it's just an amazing time that uh, we had to you know go through as, as a nation and as a world uh but uh it's so much transpired over the course of such a short amount of time mm-hmm. and it even feels like i don't know it just kind of feels like that now as well it's like so much happens in such a short amount of years mm-hmm. like even all, like all that we've got i mean even in one year i mean 2020 right. how much we've had to go through right it yeah. just seems like uh just and, and that's where i think in those times where just so much happens uh politically or uh nationally war uh strife struggle challenges is where you can find the greatest art i think Mm -hmm. that's where the greatest art gets made um as it's a reflection of the time and the and the place and the culture uh that it's made in and it's just it's just uh so i think that really uh yeah i mean along with the fact right like this movie is dedicated to to six different people, six different uh, African Americans, five of which yeah. I think were 
five of which were killed by police officers. Wow. And and so it's like it's this this film definitely being a product of its time. And even and even I think that like as well, it's not only just a product of its time. It's also um, it's ahead of its time and that like Spike Lee's commenting, I think, on the challenges of, of racism, systemic racism, uh, I mean, gentrification, um, the cla- the difference in class and uh, the connection to that with race. I think the, the ideas of pol- police you know, brutality um, that is being talked about here as well, all these different things that I think for some people, especially, you know, uh, white Americans may have overlooked a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And if, yeah. And, and if, thought that, you know, hey, you know, this was uh, this is not a problem. But I mean, I think that's where it's like ahead of its time and that Spike Lee was already was was seeing this. And many many he was just speaking on behalf of many other people who were seeing it as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you give me a second, I'm going to read out the names that it was dedicated to mm-hmm. um, just for our listeners to to know. Uh, these are the names it says uh, do the right thing is dedicated to Eleanor Bumpers, Michael Griffith. Arthur Miller, Edmund Perry, uh, Yvonne Smallwood, and Michael Stewart, six black New Yorkers who had been killed leading up to Lee making the movie. Wow. And those were the names they were shouting out in the, the street, you know, when yeah. they were doing the pant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so with this film being made ahead of its time, I was wondering about that exactly because there are films that were ahead of their time and sometimes those films would not be able to be made today because of how incendiary the content is. If Spike Lee had not made this until 2010, do you think he would still have been able to make it? Uh, Are you saying like there would have been like political opposition or just like because of the climate it just would have been explosive all of the above you do you think everything would have been so sensitive that no one would have supported Mm -hmm. it wow maybe i mean i think that it's just so like poignant and sad and heartbreaking that like it's a lot of times when you watch movies and something happens, you're like, yeah, maybe that would happen once every 10,000 years or something. And that's what makes it a good story or whatever. And it seems really unrealistic. But mm-hmm. I mean, what happened to Radio Rahim and what caused the mob is something that we have all in our lifetimes seen so many times. And. It's not outlandish and it's not happening once every 10,000 years. It's happening multiple times a year. Um, So I could see, yeah, I mean, based on 2020, I could see it not like it just being almost too graphic because we've seen it happen in real life. Mm -hmm. So it just would be really sensitive and triggering for people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can very easily edit in the video of George Floyd being murdered. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and take out Radio Raheem's situation. And the movie wouldn't change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Yeah. Really good point there, Dom. And I think, yeah, I mean, if it was, I think it totally could have been made 2010. The thing is about Spike Lee and his career, he's he's always, I think, 
uh, been on the cutting edge. He's always presented uh, films in a very, uh, very provocative way. Uh, I think he's really gone about things on his terms, and he's he's basically um, been a master at it, you know. And I think that uh, so yeah, certainly I think this film would have been made. Um, yeah, this film would have been made. I think anytime, but I think it's just. Uh, I think that there's something really unique. I mean, it's it's very telling. I think just about the fact that it was made so long ago and yet still speaks so much to us today. Right. That if you basically told somebody the plot of this film, they probably would have thought it was released, you know, this year or last year. Or that uh, it was based on true events. Yeah, and um, so it's. Yeah, I think that's where I wanted to ask as well. I mean, we kind of already kind of talk about this a little bit, but I mean, there's just so much relevance to today, right? I mean, we're recording this the same week as the verdict from the Derek Chauvin trial uh, has been announced, and uh, he was guilty on all three accounts. I believe that was second degree and third degree murder, as well as secondary manslaughter. And this is uh, the death of George Floyd, uh, which really was the uh in many ways the spark that ignited the, f- the fire of last summer uh in regards to the protests of uh against systemic racism against police brutality and uh and really of of what you started in uh, i think a, a, an awakening for many people about the the issues that were going on for such a long time but i think i think finally i think many people were starting to get with the program um and yeah. And so it's just really interesting that we're we're talking about this film, and even with what's going on, it just is so crucial to, to today, relevant to, relevant to today. Any other thoughts about that in regards to um, its connection to what's going on right now in our world? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it's been a heavy week. I told someone, I, I want to say it was Carl. I don't know, but. Yeah, I think it was Carl when I was like, I was preparing myself for, you know, not guilty on all accounts, just acquitted, just completely. I was, Mm -hmm. I was preparing my heart. I was preparing what I was going to say to people when they asked me, how are you doing? I was, I was preparing what I was going to, you know, pray. I was preparing. I was preparing my mind. I knew what I was going to do after I heard the verdict. I was going to go for a drive, pray, clear my head. You know, I was prepared. Um, so I was actually shocked when he was guilty on all counts. But, you know, even with that and what's what's been happening in the weeks leading to the verdict um, with other people being killed. Um, I know that George Floyd, his girlfriend, was a teacher and she taught a young man by the name of Dante Wright. Um, and he was murdered by the police as well. Wow. Uh, and. Uh, a, num- a number of others, I don't have the names of right now, I'm kind of mad at myself, but, you know, a number of others have been uh, killed as well in the past couple weeks. And, you know, even with the verdict, if this continues, I can I, I can still see rioting in our near future. So I, I feel like this I feel like this movie needs to be put back in the, in the theaters or yeah. it needs to be on all streaming platforms for people to watch. Um, because it's very it's very relevant, you know. Even when you think about, um, you know, bugging out was so fixated on on pictures on the wall that he kind of ignited this this crusade that wasn't worth it. It wasn't, you know, having pictures on the wall wasn't worth Radio Raheem's life. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it makes me think of so many people right now in this era that are so for crusades. Something that Jade mm-hmm. says, who plays uh, Spike Lee's sister in the movie, and she's actually his actual sister in real life, uh, Jawa. She said she says to Bugging Out, you know, Bugging Out, I'm down. I'm down for the cause, I'm, but I'm down for the community. I'm wow. down for something that's positive. You know, what what's going to actually benefit the community? Putting wall putting pictures on the wall isn't going to benefit the community. It's not going to change anything. And that's what she was getting at. Mm. And I think a lot of people are wrapped up in these things. Mm. You know, but it's not really impacting. Um, so, yeah, I think this movie is definitely relevant. Dom, can I ask what your family debated about? Um, when the movie was over the first time? Whether or not it was important to have pictures on the wall was one mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And whether or not him throwing the trash can through the window was right. Wow. Huh. So it it was mir- mimicking real life. Like, those are the real <laughs> conversations people have. Like, yeah. what, what should be done here or there or there or there or there? Yeah. Yeah. We, we always have our biggest debates after Spike Lee films, but okay. this one in particular, I think the biggest one that actually turned into like pretty big was bigger than the, the trash can one was should Sal put up black pictures on the, on his wall. Like and if he rebuilds it? No, like, well, just the, the question of, oh, just should he. was it, should he, should he put up, mm-hmm. you know, prominent african-americans yeah i mean my thought on that would be that i mean sure he it's his business and he can do what he wants to do and he basically says that in the film and uh i think though like you know if you're if you really want to try to i think as a a good business owner would want to consider the the customers that come into his business right and uh, the people that that he serves and so I think it's a I think it's a good idea to incorporate mm-hmm. pictures of you know African Americans on the wall at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. If that's a, most of if the demographic of your customers is mo- mostly like African Americans, it makes a lot of sense. I think it just out of consideration, and you know I think that mm-hmm. yeah I think that would be that'd be great. Yeah. But yeah. Sal did get a picture of black people on his wall eventually. He, he did. He did. There you go, Smiley. Smiley, yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, the two quotes, the Martin Luther King Jr. and then the Malcolm X quotes at the end, mm-hmm. I feel like is the eternal debate. Yeah. My friend who's a teacher was reading a book. I don't know what it's called, but she's a kindergarten teacher um, who works with, I guess, more impoverished uh, people. And... Um, I don't know if that's relevant. Anyway, she was she's a kindergarten teacher. She was reading this book and it was talking about how it's really contradictory because um, black kids are taught in school to obey authority, but obeying authority has only gotten them uh, or it hasn't gotten them anywhere, I guess. Like it's only added to the oppression and only breaking out and going against authority have black people been able to get anywhere and so just that that wrestle and that struggle um and i feel like 
I don't know. I just, I understand that. Like, I understand that if you're not getting what you need and violence is the way to get it, then it's the way to get it. And that, yeah, it, it's just really tough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is great sharing. And I appreciate all you guys have had to say, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface, right? We're, we're right. almost an hour into this and it's still just, you know, we got still so much we could be talking about. And could um, be a part two, what you're trying to say. Part two. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe, I just love this movie so much. <laughs> maybe so. And uh, I, I wouldn't mind that. But um, just just so for everyone out there, for for, uh, for anyone interested in watching it, feel free to, to check out Do the Right Thing on Amazon Prime. I believe it's on right now, uh, as well as I believe it's on, uh, it's on Hulu. And I believe it's on, I think it's on peacock it was on peacock i don't know if it still is but uh and then as well as um showtime it's uh on the showtime app um premium channel you can check that out as well um and certainly i i think for a while spike lee was selling uh copies autographed copies of the criterion blu-ray of do the right thing i bought the criterion blu-ray it's a it's a fantastic picture quality and sound quality and um, there's plenty of bonus features and all that with that package i would highly recommend the criterion collection blu-ray criterion collection for everything for any movie but yeah for that one especially um but uh i think spike was actually selling autographed copies of it and i found that out after i bought mine i'm like ah. Mm. <laughs> so anyways um but last just just before as we wrap up here i just wanted to know hey uh what is your overall rating of this film it's basically whatever rating system you have let me know you know like hey like if it's five stars or it's four stars or whatever if it's 10 out of a 10 or out of a 10 or if it's or if it's like you know, two thumbs up or whatever rating system you have. I mean, what do you, what do you guys think? What's your rating? 10 out of 10. It's in my top 10. Right on. I haven't rated this movie before and I don't know if it would be in my top 10, but my rating would probably be around seven, eight. Hmm. Out of 10. <laughs> out of 100 just kidding um yeah i would say a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 i can't think any of anything that i didn't like or that i didn't think was well done or intentional yeah i think it's awesome yeah i think um i go off a five star scale on my ratings so five out of five for me i, I mean there are other movies that maybe certain qualities of it like the cinematography or the composure or the you know certain things might be i might think is more like it's just i don't know it's better but i think what this movie really makes it top so many other of those films is because of how how much it can change the heart of a person Hmm. a lot of these other movies you know that are made you know over the years and so much great classic cinema just doesn't really, really cause people to have conversations. It doesn't really get to the core of, of, of really deep-seated issues that we wrestle with each and every day with our interactions with people. And so, th- though I may, you know, like I said, I, this is my top 15. I like other movies a little bit. You know, there's a few movies I like more. But I must say, this one definitely 
this is the one I think that I would say is an absolute must for every human being to watch. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where I'm like, it's it's one that you need to watch to be able to, I think, better to be a better human being. Yeah, I think it's it, this is like I think this is required viewing, and um, and uh, I highly, I most highly recommend watching it. Um, so uh, above highest recommendation I could ever give. So absolute classic. Most definitely, bro. Classic. Thank you for that, Jay. You always bring the hit pick fire. We love these episodes, the hit pick episodes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you are listening out there, um, I'm just going to share a passage with you guys just to make sure that you go away encouraged. Because uh, obviously this is a podcast that supports God's word. And what God has to say about these subjects is more important than anything we have to say. Um, in Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let that encourage you. If you're being, if you're getting weary with the stuff that's happening in the world, don't become weary. Okay. Your, your help comes from above. There are other people that are trying to do good as well. Uh, link arms with those people. Go out and continue to do good. Do the right thing. And that is the double truth. Ruth. Peace. Peace.